I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this is your first time. We're glad that you're here, and we're, we'd love to get to know you better. Uh, please see me if you have any needs that uh, you would like to have the church's help with, because that's one of the reasons that we are here, is to assist you. Uh, I hope I make it through this message this morning without hacking. Uh, I've got my semi-annual bronchitis working, so uh, hopefully uh, hopefully that'll, that'll happen. But... Um, we need to pray here for something that um, I didn't get a chance to mention it to Jim before he got up here, but Carol Anderson's mother fell at her house this morning and don't have a status report on her yet, but uh, for an older person that can be very serious. And so go ahead, Cindy or Jerry, you got, you got an update for us? Okay, well, let's do go ahead and pray anyway, okay? Uh, Father, we do pray for this dear woman, uh, for Carol's mom, and uh, Father, we thank you that nothing is broken and that this was not more serious, uh, but Father, we do pray for healing and for uh, full restoration here, uh, healing of all these bruises and bumps, and uh, Father, we just pray that you would watch over her and protect her in every way, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are in Philippians this morning. Um, that's We're going to be continuing our study through that book. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. And in this section, uh, Paul holds up two men as godly examples that are worthy of imitation. Uh, and in fact, uh, if you want to know what the point of the passage is, you just read verse uh, 29. Uh, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Okay, uh, The idea is that these are men that, um, that are worthy of imitation, that we should model our lives after. Um, now I want you to, before we get into this passage, and we'll read it together and then we'll dive in a little deeper, but, but as, before we do that, I just want you to consider something. Imagine that you're in a situation where you're talking with someone who needs to know more about uh, Jesus Christ and wants to learn about Christianity. I hope that you are uh, taking our encouragement to build relationships uh, with people in, in our community and in your, in your sphere of influence that don't know Christ and taking the uh, and praying that God would give you those opportunities and build those relationships, and uh, and in that I hope that you get opportunities to actually share with people about uh, what it means to follow Christ and how it looks uh, to actually do that. Imagine this though that someone says to you, "Hey, I want to know uh, more about Jesus. How would you how would you talk to him?" about that. Would you say, well, I'll tell you what we should do. We should sit down and we should open the book of Romans together and study through. Well, you might do that. That would be okay. Romans is a great book. It gives you everything you need to know about the gospel. And um, if they're not a believer by the end of chapter 8, they're probably not going to be one, okay? Um, the, it's a great, it'd be a great approach, okay? It might be a little bit hard sledding, but you'll get through it, right? 
Uh, or maybe you could read a lot of apologetic books. You know, you could read C.S. Lewis. Uh, you could read Lee Strobel. You could read Norm Geisler. You can read all this stuff. And that way, as you're talking about Jesus, they can, and they have questions that you can be fully educated and have all the answers. Boom, right there. How do, how do we know the Bible is true? Well, let me tell you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and you give them your, your spiel, right? Well, how do you know that Jesus was really raised from the dead? Well, you can give answers for that. There are answers to those kinds of questions. How do you know that Christianity is unique and true among all the religions of the world? Well, there's answers for that. And as you discuss, maybe you'd want to do it that way. Now, let me suggest another way. They could say, tell me what believing in Christ means. And here's what you could say. You could say, I tell you what, watch me. Once you move into my house, go with me in the car to my job, sit with me at my desk, go with me wherever I go and watch me for a month. And you'll understand what Christianity is from watching it lived. You'll see how I talk to people I interact with. You'll see how I perform at my job. You'll see how I interact in my marriage and family life. You'll see what I focus my time on, how I spend my money. You'll see everything there is to see about me. And to the extent that my relationships and life is governed by the Christian faith, you'll see what it's all about. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you would have enough boldness to do that? More importantly, how many of you would have a life such that that would be likely to lead the person to faith in Christ? Who by watching you would see a person who is truly and really governed by the Bible and by the gospel so that they could see Christ lived out through you. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is not about theological propositions that we understand. Yes, it's necessary to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. You must believe that in order to enter into a relationship with God. But it is the entry point into a relationship not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just the recitation of historical facts. It's, it's an active, day-by-day following of Jesus and living the way he lived, talking the way he talked, doing the things that he did, right? Because Jesus said that he only did the things he saw his father do. And if we are followers of Jesus, then we are to be children of God, doing the things that we see our Father doing, our Heavenly Father, right? And we ought to be able to invite people into our lives in a way that the closer that they look, the more and more they see Jesus. Now, these are the kind of men you could do that with. Timothy and Epaphroditus. If they got invited into, if they were to invite somebody else into their life, the closer they look, the more they see Jesus. So we're going to look at some characteristics from them, um, <coughs> and I'm going to read the passage for us here. This is uh, first, I mean Philippians chapter two, 
verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him, you may be glad, and, may have le- and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, to understand this passage, you need a little background information. Paul had planted the Philippian church. You can read this story of it in Acts uh, chapter 16 about how Paul was arrested in Philippi, uh, how he was uh, beaten and imprisoned, uh, and how there was uh, a divine jailbreak uh, in the night that threw off everybody's chains and opened up all of the doors of the prison The jailer was ready to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had left. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And he leads the Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. He had also earlier that day led Lydia, uh, a seller of purple cloth, to Christ. And this was the beginning of the church. And this has been about 15 years previous, as best as we can reconstruct the history. Uh, And so the Philippian church has added several more people it's probably a church that's smaller than this one, okay? Uh, there's maybe 50, 60 people in the Philippian church that he's writing to. Um, but they have had a number of people come to Christ, and the church is having some problems. One of the big problems they're having is there are these people that Paul calls the Judaizers that are active in the church, and one of the things they're trying to do is to tell people, well, it's fine and well to believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law, i.e., you need to get circumcised, you need to obey, the, obey all of the Mosaic law, you need to observe the feast days, etc., etc., etc. You can't cook a goat in its mother's milk. All those laws, that 613 laws that, that are recorded in, the, in uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you have to obey all of that, and that is also necessary to be uh, uh, acceptable before God. And Paul's uh, whole point of all of his letters is this, that Christ has already met all of the requirements of the law, and we are in him, and therefore we don't have to keep the law because we already have, because Jesus kept it on our behalf, right? And so you no longer have to become a Jew to be a Christian, and so, but there's these people who are stirring up division. And then there are also these two women who are going at one another, hammer and tongs. We're going to meet them later. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche, okay? How would you like, by the way, just as an aside, 
have your name recorded as a troublemaker for all eternity. <laughs> okay? Uh, not me. I'd rather not have that. But anyway, these two gals, we'll meet them in heaven, um, and we'll ask them how they feel about that. Um, but um, they're, they're, they're divisive, uh, in-conflict uh, women, and there are factions developing, some who favor this woman and some who favor this other woman. And, and oh, isn't she horrible? Yes, she's horrible, blah, 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 blah. And they're going at one another, okay? Um, and Paul is then writing, they've written to Paul a letter, and they've sent Epaphroditus to carry it to him, and also to serve as Paul's uh, assistant, like Timothy. And they're thinking, hey, we can't get Paul, he's in jail. So Paul, send Timothy back to us, and he'll carry the letter from you, and he can also serve as your representative to help us sort out these things. And so that's what they have asked for. And so Paul is going to talk about Timothy a little bit, and then he's also going to tell them why he's not going to send Timothy. We're going to send Epaphroditus instead. So that's, that's what's going on here in the text. And he says, look, I want to be able to grant your request soon. I would love to send Timothy to you, but I can't. It's necessary that he's with me. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you some things about him. He says, there's no one else like Timothy. Um, and let me give you some, some things that why he's unique. First of all, he takes a genuine interest, Paul says, in others. And that is the opposite of the way most people are. Most people do not take a genuine interest in others. They take kind of a self-centered interest in others. You know, what have you done for me lately kind of a thing, right? Uh, and Jim talked through um, the earlier part of this chapter a couple of weeks back, remember? And uh, in Philippians 2, verse 4, if you go back a page or so in your Bible, it says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Jim made the excellent point that a lot of us, when we read that verse, we say, okay, I know how to obey that, and here's what we do. We say, okay, well, I'm going to look to my interests 95% and the interests of others 5%. Or I'm going to look to the interests of others 80% and everybody else 20%. Or maybe it's 51 and 49, but whatever the issue is, when it comes down to deciding between their interest and mine, ours always have the majorities of, of voting stock, right? Uh, we always get 51 votes, and they always get 49. Paul says Timothy's not like that, that he takes a genuine interest in others, and I think he's intending to show people that not only is Jesus a living example of what he had earlier been talking about, about your attitude should be the same as Christ in terms of humility, but that Timothy is an example of that too. That he takes a genuine interest in others, and he is uniquely, in fact, concerned about the Philippian church, which makes him qualified to solve their problems. He takes a genuine interest in what they've got going on. But beyond that, he has also proven himself. And the Greek word here is interesting. It, the, the one that means proven, uh, or the one that's translated proven there, it literally means watched. But Timothy has a watched life. Um, Timothy is someone who has been observed, not only by Paul, 
but also by the Philippians and by the rest of the church. And one of the things that's true is that about Timothy is that the longer that people watch, the more they become convinced that what you see is what you get with Timothy, that there's no secret life. There's no private side to him that's different from the public side. You know, and I don't know, when I was growing up, one of the one of the things that was a big scandal on TV, you know, was when Jimmy Swaggart hired that woman. Um, and then Jim and Tammy Faye Baker had their big blow up, you know, uh, with their financial meltdown and all this kind of thing. And the reason that that was such a big deal uh, was not just because there was criminality involved, but because the public persona and the private reality were widely divergent, weren't they? Right? And whenever a minister of God falls in some moral fashion, that's always the problem, is that he preached a good message and taught a good thing, but his private life didn't line up with that. And the more you watched his life, the worse it looked. And Paul says Timothy is not like that, that he has proven himself. He's been tested. He's been observed. In fact, one of the things Paul says in one of his other letters with reference to choosing elders has to do with this. He says, don't be eager to don't be over eager to lay hands on someone, meaning appoint them as an elder. He says, because the sins of some men are obvious, going ahead of them unto judgment. You know, in other words, you can see what this guy's holes are a long way off, but the sins of other men follow behind. In other words, watch somebody over a period of time. Watch their life. And if they prove themselves over a long period of time, then do that. Okay? He's saying that Timothy qualifies under that standard, that he's been watched over a long period of time, and he's proven himself. He's come forth and shown what kind of man he is over a long while. Okay? Now, uh, by the way, just as a little pastoral aside, how do you tell if a man is worth following or if a a leader is worth following, watch. Just watch. See what their life is like. See what it produces. And you'll be able to tell over a period of time whether this person is worth following or not. Okay. Same thing applies you singles, uh, you students that are wondering about who you might marry someday or whether the person that you are currently involved with is worth marrying, what do, you, what do you do to figure out? Well, watch. See how they react under pressure. See how they respond when the chips are down. And then, then ask yourself this question. Knowing what I know now about how they interact with people, about how they respond under pressure, about how they treat others that they don't like. Can I deal with that for the next 70 years if that never changes? 
because the fact is, probably won't, okay? People do grow and change, but sometimes some of those flaws that people have are permanent until they go to glory. So make the assumption that this is one of the ones that's not going to. And can I hack it with that for the next 70 years? Uh, if you can't, don't get married, okay? If somebody is in the same way with reference to Christian leadership, if, if you can't deal with that or, if that, or if that guy has a big flaw that's real obvious or becomes obvious over time, don't follow him. Okay? All right. One final characteristic that Paul has identifies here with reference to Timothy is that he has learned well at Paul's side. Not just been taught well, he has learned well, right? Uh, because the uh, you know there are two sides to a to a a mentoring or a teaching relationship, right? There's the information the teacher gave, and there's what the student learned. Right? And sometimes those are widely divergent. Right? My, um, my high school algebra 1 and 2 teacher was a wonderfully astute mathematician. What I learned and what he taught were not the same. <laughs> right? Um, I got by on partial credit in algebra 1 2. Right? Um, there was a wide disparity between what I learned and what he taught. Paul is saying that with reference to Timothy, that he has learned well. And he has put into practice the things that Paul has taught him and showed him. And in fact, he compares him to being like a son with his father. Now, that might not make total sense to you, but the idea is is that the ministry is like a lot of things. It is, it is caught as well as taught. Right? That it is caught as well as taught. It's not just what you say, it's that they imitate what you do. Uh, I've listened to a lot of sermons uh, over the years from one particular preacher, um, Tommy Nelson, down in Denton, Texas. Great guy, if you ever get to listen to him. Uh, leads a large church down there. And every now and then I will catch myself saying things that I have heard him say. Why? Because I have listened to him enough that it has become part of my pattern of thinking and speech, right? Um, in the ancient world, you had apprenticeship-type uh, programs that you would learn how to do a particular trade. So if your dad was a baker, you would probably be a baker because you would be learning at your dad's side how to be a baker. It wasn't like today where fathers went off to work somewhere else you know, very often the bake shop was next to the house or part of the house, and your dad showed you and taught you and you worked with him. If he was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If he was a uh, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, you were going to be probably what he was, right? Um, why? Because you learned to do what your father had done. And Timothy and Paul have a close relationship, and, and Paul has been Timothy's father, in a sense, in the ministry. And Timothy has watched and learned and done right along with Paul. And he has been faithful. And he has learned well at Paul's side. All right? Um, 
Now, after all this buildup on Timothy, you think, boy, this is great. Timothy is really great. He's exactly the guy we should need, we should get. Verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. That's not who they're hoping to get. Epaphroditus is from the Philippian church, and he's going to go back to the Philippian church. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then look how he describes him. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Uh, What he's saying about Epaphroditus, and I struggled with how to kind of encapsulate this, but what he's saying is that Epaphroditus is a humble servant. That he had served right alongside Paul, and he had done whatever Paul needed done. You know, Paul can't get out much. You know, being in prison kind of limits your mobility some. And he's like, Paul, what do you need? I'll go do it. He's free. He can he can go about however he wants. And a lot of times, um, people only want to do what is really glorious, right? What gets recognized, what everybody sees. Aphroditus isn't like that. He's humble. And whatever Paul needs, he goes and does. He's a humble servant. And he was faithful. But there's more. It says that Epaphroditus also longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. He has genuine affection for his his sending church, the Philippians. Uh, This guy loves the people he's in church with. And he wants to be with them. And in fact, he's worried about them because they heard that he was sick. He's more concerned about the fact that they're worried than the fact that he has been sick to the point that he almost died. (laughs) And he's concerned about them. And Paul's going to hold him up and say, he has genuine affection for you too. Just like Timothy does, in other words. And then on top of that, he has risked his life to serve Paul. And we don't know exactly what the circumstances were, but we know that that the, the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus with the idea, carry this letter to Paul and stay there and help him out so that we can get Timothy to come and help us with our problems that we're having. Uh, and somewhere in the in the course of that happening, either on the way or after he got there, uh, somewhere in the process, Epaphroditus got deathly ill. But rather than go home, he stayed. He said, "No, I have my I have my mission. My mission is to serve." Christ by serving Paul and I'm not leaving until I get to do that and if I go home in a box so be it in this way Timothy was a lot I mean Epaphroditus is a lot like some of the old missionaries from the 1800s a lot of them when they packed their clothes and stuff to leave for the mission field a lot of them packed it in a coffin now that seems a little grim to us, 
but they knew that likelihood was that some of the places that the gospel needed to go, they were going to catch some disease, and they wanted to be able to have them either buried on the field or be able to get my body home. They went knowing they might die and probably would. And Epaphroditus has got the same attitude. Even if it costs me my life to serve Christ, I'm going to serve. Epaphroditus is a noble guy. In other words, what Paul is trying to communicate to him is that I'm not sending you second best here. I need Timothy for the moment. I'm going to try to send him as soon as I can. As soon as I figure out how my trial goes, I'm going to try and send him to you. But until then, don't feel like you got shorted by getting Epaphroditus back. Because look what kind of man this is. He's my fellow soldier, my brother, my fellow worker. He's risked his life to, to serve me and serve Christ by serving me. He's a humble guy. And I'm going to send him back with the letter. And he is going to be fully capable of helping you with these issues. Because I'm going to give him the instruction on what to do and say. But this is a man of character. This is a man of honor. This is someone, Paul says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And honor men like this. Hold him up. Why? Because he's a worthy man. He's worthy of your respect. He almost died for the sake of the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give me. In other words, guys, I know that you all want to help, and I know you all can't come and help me. So you sent Epaphroditus. He risked his life for that. And that's worthy of being held up and honored. Now, um, before we close, let me just make one one statement here, and then we'll I'll give some application on this. An organization, or a fam- whether it's a family, whether it's a business, whether it's a country, whether it's a church, tends to produce whatever it is they honor. That's a fact. Whatever you honor over time is what you will produce. If you honor, like a lot of churches do, somebody who attends and gives, that's what you will have a whole lot of, is people who attend and give. If you honor people who serve, you'll tend to get more people who serve. If you honor people who share Christ with others, you tend to get more of those. And again, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about church or whether we're talking about family, whether we're talking about the country. You produce whatever it is that you honor. And one of the things that I am convinced of is that we need to honor the right kind of people for that reason. Right? One of the great proud moments for me as a pastor of ministry in this church has been watching all these people serve whether it's with Awana, whether it's with children's ministry, whether it's with women's Bible study or mops, or whether it's in small group as leaders, whether it's in our men's ministry, however it is, we have an active serving involved 
committed body of Christ here. Did you see how many people? I mean, it's like half the congregation here this morning got up in one of these Awana shirts, okay? Did you see that? I saw that, and my heart swelled with joy for all of you. We want to be sure we honor the right thing. And this is one of the things that's worth honoring. People who are willing to serve with a humble spirit. Okay? And whatever ministry it is that you serve in, you need to be honored in this church. And I hope you feel honored. Because it's an honor for me to serve with you. Okay? It is. It's a privilege and a joy. Before I start crying here, uh, let's go to um, <laughs> let's go to application. Okay, we want to honor men like this and women like this in our church. Um, we want to be able to say when somebody wants to know about Jesus, watch me. And if we become person like is described here about Timothy and Epaphroditus, you'd be able to do that. So let's look at these characteristics here. You take a genuine interest in others. Are they an, an end for you in their relationship with in your relationships with them, or are they just a means for you to get what you want? You take a genuine interest in them as them and not just as what they can do for you? Do you possess proven character? To what extent is there a gap between who you are at church and who you are everywhere else? To the extent that the gap is wide, you won't be able to say, watch me, when it comes to introducing people to Christ. You have proven character. Have you learned how to minister faithfully by following a godly example? I've been blessed in my life to have a lot of godly examples. Uh, I hope none of them have to take the blame for the result, all right? Um, but I have been blessed to have a lot of godly examples to imitate. Men that have mentored me and shaped me and prayed over me and laid their hands on me. And I hope that I have learned to imitate and walk as a son with his father in the way that they have done. And in fact, in my case, one of the most godly men that I have ever sought to follow has been my own father. That's a great privilege. It really is. Um, I wish we had him in this church, all right? Uh, that you all could know him in the way that I do. And that you could follow after him the way I have. Have you learned to follow Christ by imitating godly examples? Are you a humble servant? Do you need constant praise and attention and affirmation? Continual attaboys so that you can continue to serve? Are you humble? Willing to just serve faithfully whether anybody recognizes it or not? 
Now, do we, should we recognize it? Yes, we should. But whether we do or don't, are you willing to serve anyway? Are you a humble servant? Do you have genuine affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you really love the other people that you are in the body of Christ with? Really love them. Not just greet them nicely on Sunday morning and, you know, think about them very little through the week. Do you really love them for who they are? Can they see your love for them and how you behave toward them? Finally, are you, what are you willing to risk for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of serving Christ? What are you willing to risk? Paul commends Epaphroditus because he is willing to risk his life to serve Christ by serving him. Even his life. What are you willing to risk? Willing to risk your reputation? Your job? Your prestige? Your money? Your life? Let's pray.